full disclosure, I am drinking granulated instant decaf coffee. I'm surprised they let me stay in Australia. Can you believe they gave me a passport? Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast, where we explore how we can better understand our thoughts, feelings and actions, change our results, and feel less alone as we navigate this crazy little thing called life. My name is Emily Chabborn, and I recorded this episode live in my free Facebook group, Unashamedly Human with Emily Chabborn. If you're not a member yet, head to the show notes to join this global community, and you'll be able to join me live next week as I record the next episode of Unashamedly Human, the podcast. Make sure you follow me on Instagram too, Unashamedly Emily, and enjoy this episode. Dear Em, I love listening to your podcasts and also those of other coaches and entrepreneurs. You might say I'm a bit of a personal development junkie. I have all the books, I watch all the TED Talks, but for some reason I never commit to doing the actual work. I've never joined an actual course or programme. Sometimes I think I'm too old to change, other times I feel like I'm desperate to do the work. It's like I'm holding myself back and I don't know why. Do you have any advice? There is always another layer of development. There's always another layer of evolution. There is always the next version of you that is possible for you. And some of us get really far up that ladder. And it's not like that means that one person is better than another. I totally don't exist in a world where some people are better than other. Like people are different and that's great. But they're not better than. You know, what is it that means that we hold ourselves back? That's what I'm trying to say. And that's what I want to discuss today. Why do we hold ourselves back from greatness? So I'm going to start with a little story. It's about a dog. I can't remember where I heard this, but it was one of those stories where when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, that's going to change my life. So I want you to imagine there's a farmer sitting on his porch and sitting next to the farmer is a dog. And the dog is whining a little bit, just like a low-level, uncomfortable whine. And a stranger walks past the farmer's house and sees the farmer sitting on the porch and sees the farmer's dog sitting next to the farmer, whining. And the stranger says, hey, farmer, why is your dog whining? And the farmer says, because he's sitting on a nail. And the stranger says, why doesn't he move? And the farmer says, because he's not uncomfortable enough yet. And that's the end of the story. And I think sometimes when it comes to the next level of who we are, whether that be going for the promotion, whether it be earning more money, whether it be creating more time freedom for ourselves, whether it be sitting in optimal health on a consistent and sustainable basis, whether it be deepening our relationships, romantic or plutonic, whatever it is that we are searching for next, the next level of most of us won't get there. Most of us won't make the move there unless we are so uncomfortable where we are that we will move. And so a lot of people will just sit on the nail going, this is mediocre, but it's okay. I'll settle for this. This is enough for me. I probably shouldn't ask for more. What if I ask for more and I don't get it? And then I have to deal with disappointment. What if I ask for more and my friends begin to judge me? 
or my partner stops loving me, or my family stop understanding me. So I'm going to sit on this nail and it's uncomfortable and I'm probably going to whine about it if I'm going to be honest, but I'm not going to move from it. Because what if where I go next is more uncomfortable? What if there's a bigger nail? And we tend to think in danger, we tend to think in fear, we tend to think in worst case scenarios because we think that by doing that, we're protecting ourselves, we're preparing ourselves. When the reality of the situation is, what if we moved from the nail and we found the most comfortable, wonderful massage chair that's gonna massage your buttocks and your lumbar and your spinal cord and what if that? And so we tend to stay where we are unless the pain of where we are outweighs the pain of change. The reason that we don't tend to level up when we can, when the opportunity is put right in front of us, we've read all the books, we've watched all the TED Talks, we've kind of gathered all of this information, we can see in front of us what is possible for us if we are willing to do the work and invest the time, the money and the energy in the change, in the shift, but we stay where we are because even though it's uncomfortable, it's not as scary as the change is. The other thing I think that I see time and time and time again with women who get to a certain level and then stop is this idea that success is something to be feared or that happiness is maybe something that's out of reach for them. And that is normally an indication of a fundamental belief system around their own self-worth and what it is that they are capable of receiving. So most of our issues, neuroses, defense mechanisms, self-sabotage, procrastination, all comes down to a feeling of, if we distill it down, we can strip out the story, we can strip out the context. When we dis distill it down to its basic level, it will all come down to, am I worthy of this? Do I feel worthy? Is there enough self-love? Do I really think that I deserve this level of happiness? And Brene Brown would call it foreboding joy, that feeling of like, but what if I get it and then it gets taken away? And so, so many people would prefer to stay in the level of mediocre because it's actually much more comfortable. It's actually much more familiar. There's less risk involved. And even if we're not talking about business risk, even if we're not talking about financial risk, you know, even on a, on a personal level, it's much easier for me to stay small in my own life than it is to play big in it. There is less room for disappointment, less room for rejection, less room for it being taken away from me. And that's the truth that we tell ourselves. And so that's the truth that we believe. But there is a different version of reality, which is that those disappointments are coming to you anyway, whether you live on a mediocre level or an exceptional level. And I'm not talking about people being mediocre or exceptional. I'm not grading people or saying that anyone is better than the other. I'm just saying in your own experience of your one precious incarnation, are you having an excellent time or are you having a meh, it's all right time? Because they're different things. And that's a question you just got to ask yourself. Like on a day-to-day -day basis, I think we, we sort of trudge through life, don't we? Assuming that tomorrow is coming. Assuming that we're going to be here for another 
five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, assuming that we've got time to make it better tomorrow or when the kids have started school or when, you know, I've got more money or when I feel a bit better about myself or when I've got a bit more confidence or when, 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 when. We just assume that we have the future. But actually, if someone came up to you and went, actually, it's 365 days, that's what you've got left. What are you going to change about your life? Are you going to sit there and go, I'm really, really happy with how I've experienced life. And it's not, it's got nothing to do with how much money you've earned because that doesn't make you happy. It's got nothing to do with how many countries you've traveled to because for a lot of people that doesn't make you happy. It's like, how content was I in my experience of this incarnation? Do I feel like I've learned? Do I feel like I've grown? Do I feel like I've experienced what I wanted to experience? Have I learned my lessons? Have I opened myself up for the wonder and the experience that is in front of me? this miracle playground that we've been gifted to live in, whatever you believe, why you think we're here, how you think we got here, where you think we might go on to next is irrelevant. Like we are here and it's fucking miraculous. How much have you lent into experiencing it and enjoying it? Or are you sitting on a fucking proverbial nail going, oh, oh with like a low level anxiety on a constant consistent basis but not doing anything about it and like I said like it's the the reason is it's valid you know what if what if it's scarier on the other side what if I don't know who I am on the other side we feel so familiar with our own strategies and our own protection mechanisms and the idea of being that vulnerable and cracking yourself open to really genuinely experiencing the trials and tribulations of life in a sort of and to leave all your trauma in the past like that can be quite scary because who would you be without it I was having this really interesting chat with my friend last night over dinner and she was like I I struggle sometimes with victimhood and she was like and I hate to admit it but I know that sometimes I'm a victim and I just turned around and I was like are you joking I love being a victim victimhood is my favorite place it's my most comfortable security blanket. I could stay in here all day and hide from the world. I don't have to take any responsibility when I'm being a victim. I can just stay in my shit. It can be somebody else's fault. It's a comfortable experience for me. I know what it feels like to be a victim. And it, it's great. <laughs> like, I, it's my, it, literally, it's my go-to emotion. But it doesn't get me where I want to go. It holds me trapped in helplessness, abandonment. And it doesn't allow me to step into the responsibility that I need to step in in order to create what it is that I want to create so that I can experience this world the way that I want to experience it before I die. And she was quite shocked. She was like, I did not expect you to say that. She was like, and I never see you as a victim. And I was like, well, no one would see me as a victim. I probably don't have the right to claim victim, but that doesn't mean I don't love being in the emotion of victimhood. And it's something that I have to kind of coach myself through almost on a daily basis. You know, even when Theodore grabbed that squeaky toy earlier, I was like, I hate all those squeaky toys. Now Theodore's found one. Like my internal kind of go-to was like sit in the victimhood of the fact that this dog (laughs) is ruining your podcast recording as opposed to being like, okay, Like, dog found a toy, toy makes a noise, noise going on in the background, life. And I know that's such a benign and seemingly irrelevant example, but 
when you begin to sit in the seat of self-awareness and that's what a personal development or a spiritual development course will deliver you is that you will get the tools if it's a good one you will get the tools to learn how to sit in deep self-awareness and from that space of self-awareness you're going to be confronted with a lot of your shit and I think that's another reason that people are a bit like oh god do I really want to do this because you know you probably are going to have to be like oh fuck yeah okay that was me I did manifest that I did create that sort of level of secondary suffering. I have had a little tantrum about that. Maybe I am to, I do need to take some responsibility for the breakdown of that relationship or for the breakdown of that job or for, you know, the way I reacted to something. And that can be quite confronting. I totally get it. God, I had to, seriously, I went through the AA 12 steps and continue to do it. It's not the sort of thing that you just do once and then stop. It's forever work and you're constantly in the cycle of them. But, you know, some of the shit that I had to look at and be like, oh, really? Is that me? And and you have to do that with a really safe coach and a safe community because the worst thing that you can do is add shame onto anything that you're experiencing. But it can be confronting for sure. But it, unless you are willing to do that kind of work, you are always going to be trapped by your victimhood. You're going to be trapped by your current circumstances. You're going to be trapped by your existing paradigm, what you believe to be true and therefore your reality. You'll begin, you'll continue to believe the stories that you have around, well, I can't make any more money than this or no one's one's going to love me anyway. I don't deserve that level of success. And while that might feel good in a weird way, although intellectually you can say, I want more money. I want to be accepted. I want to feel X, Y, or Z. You can think that, but somewhere in, in your emotional body, you're quite attached to that victimhood. You're quite attached to that sense of abandonment. You're quite attached to that feeling of a lack of self-worth because it's familiar. And familiar will probably always outwin the change. So in a nutshell, I think that's why people don't commit to doing courses. That's why people don't commit to the program. It's why they consume the free stuff and then feel like they're doing something. It's like, oh, I don't feel good about, you know, my relationship at the moment. So I'm going to go and I'm going to buy this book and the book's going to sit on my bookshelf. But I'm going to feel better about the fact that at least I'm trying to do something about my relationship because I bought a book. I'm not going to read it but I bought it and in the, in the action of buying it, I actually feel better about myself. So in the short term, that problem has been negated. So I actually don't need to address it head on, which is why a lot of people will just watch the Ted talks, buy the books, consume the free courses. And that's great. But unless you are really willing to go massive type up moment, I'm going to get up off this nail because although this nail isn't, the worst place I've ever been. Um, I'm going to believe that there is something better. I'm going to believe that if I am willing and brave enough to confront some of my shit, I can enjoy this life more. And there are a million and one coaches out there who'll be like, oh, I'll teach you how to make more money. I'll teach you how to leverage your time. I'll teach you how to, and that's all great. But none of that is enjoyable if you don't have a baseline self-worth. You know, I know a lot of very wealthy people who are not enjoying being alive because they've never done the work around their own self-worth. They're sitting on a nail and stuff is being brought to them and that's great, but they're still sitting on the nail. 
If, like me, you love reading cool stuff, listening to interesting interviews, and hearing funny, quirky stories that feel really relatable, then sign up for my famous Friday emails. They're jam-packed with awesomeness, and if you sign up and you're not into it, you can always unsubscribe. Link in the show notes, and I look forward to being in your inbox on Friday. It's Friday! The other thing I just want to address is that in this particular question that came in, um, there's a reference to age. Sometimes I just want, or sometimes I just think if I'm too old to change. And, you know, in the hub, I have women from 28 to 67, I think. Yeah, 67. And sometimes it's actually the women who have more years on them who are willing to go deeper into the work. And that's not to say that 20 something year olds aren't, but there is this kind of sense of like, do you know what? I've spent my entire life doing stuff for other people, pleasing other people, putting other people's needs in front of my own. Now is fucking my time. Like I'm done. I'm done waiting for life to happen because you know, the older you get, the more aware you are of your own mortality. And the one thing that I just want to speak to is that, you know, fear has so many elegant and eloquent voices. And I think we assume that fear is like a massive big tight butt moment, right? It's that I'm about to get on stage and, you know, talk in front of a room full of women or I'm about to go to my first networking event or I've got to pick up the phone and chase a lead or, you know, I'm I'm going to leave this relationship that I've been in. Massive, huge tight butt moments. But fear doesn't just come in those kind of like moments. Fear comes in very subtle, very insidious ways. And it sneaks into narratives that you don't even know that you have. It sits and bubbles away in your subconscious. It's the voice of excuse. It's the voice of justification. It's the voice of putting it off until tomorrow. It can be very kind, the voice of fear sometimes. Like, you don't need to do this now. We just, like, you're great at the moment. You know what? You've just had a really big year. Been in the middle of a global pandemic. Just take some time out. Don't, you know, just put this work down for a while. You just, just get back into your pajamas and watch some Netflix. It can sound very compassionate, the voice of fear. But what the voice of fear is doing is that it is doing everything within its power to have you stay in the familiar and to have you stay the same. Because fear isn't, is always, so fear and danger are very different things, but the mechanism in your brain that picks up on fear or danger is the same thing. So it interprets any change as potential danger. You know, your brain doesn't really want you to change. It's too hard changing neural pathways, rewiring itself to think a different way, to look out for different things, to experience new, it's too hard. Your brain is a very efficient piece of machinery and it would very much like things to stay the same. It doesn't want to do any more work. And so whenever we sense change as a human being, our brain interprets that change as danger and we're trying to move away from it. And so some of those voices of fear and fear is, the 
assumption of danger in something that actually isn't dangerous or something that actually hasn't happened. So fear tends to be a future projection of what might happen. I'm going to move off the nail and I don't know, maybe the farmer won't like me anymore if I move off the nail or maybe there'll be a bigger nail or maybe there'll be this that massage chair that I've been after my entire life, but then I won't know how to accept it. I don't know how to sit in a massage chair. Am I worthy of a massage chair? I don't fuck. It. I'm just going to stay on the nail, man. I'm just going to stay on this nail because I know it. And so fear will come in and it will give you so many whispers, often very seductive whispers of why you should stay the same why you can do it tomorrow why now is not the right time why you should just go and do that thing over there and take a sideways step instead of taking a massive leap into your dreams and age is one of those excuses that I hear oh I'm too set in my ways now oh I'm just I'm, I'm too old for that now aren't I there's no helping me now I've always been this way and you can flip that because I've also had women who've come to me in their mid-20s saying, am I too young to do this type of work? Like, shouldn't I still be like just going out there and making loads of mistakes and drinking my self-worth? And you know, like, again, it's like your soul is saying, move off the nail. There is a different way. And I want to experience that. And your brain is saying, you can do that next week. You don't have the money for that. You should go on holiday instead. You know, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And age is just one of the minions, if you like, that fear deploys to keep you staying where you are because it's easier to stay the same. Even if you're not comfortable staying the same, it's easier to stay the same. But one of the things that I do know to be true is that the universe tends to shake up it will deliver its own lesson to you in whatever way it will, it needs to, if not in this lifetime, then in another one. And so when we stay stagnant, when we stay still, when we convince ourselves that what we have is enough and we shouldn't ask for more and we're not worthy of any more than this and I'm just going to stay here and hope that nothing changes because I know this, even if I, it's a shit job or a crap relationship or like the cycle of self-loathing, at least I know it. So I'm going to stay here because at least it's safe here. I'm safe in this misery. And what I know to be true is that the universe will find you and it will shake you up. And where you sit with your emotional resilience, with your mental strength, with your spiritual connection and with your physical body will determine how well you move through that shakeup. And the people who commit to doing this type of work, where they really dig into their soul to find their self-worth, to really learn how to trust their intuition, to learn how to reframe situations so that when bad things happen, they don't destroy them. Those people, when the shakeups come, move through them and transcend through them much quicker because you know life is full of curveballs and some of them are great curveballs and some of them smack us square in the face and they really hurt and those curveballs are coming you're not going to avoid them by staying on the nail what you want to be doing is building up your reserves of community self-worth 
connecting to your intuition, knowing what you need on a, any given day on a daily basis, having really strong boundaries, knowing how to love yourself, nurture yourself, look after yourself. And these things you don't learn by just kind of blindly consuming personal development jargon. Like, I love it when you guys message me and reply to my Friday emails and you tell me these podcasts are really helping and you do my free courses. It's excellent. But it's like gathering information, but not really embodying it. And so the way I understand information or the way I understand wisdom is like, you hear something, you read something, it sits in your head as information. You understand it on a conceptual level, but it doesn't become knowledge until you start using it in your day-to-day -day life. Like you begin to embody what you have learned. You begin to actually sit down and do the work. You put your money where your mouth is. You begin to apply what you have learned in your day-to-day -day life. And then once you do that, so often and so regularly and with so much repetition, the thing that you used to have to think about consciously, oh, hang on a minute, I'm doing that thing again. Here I am, hang on, I'm going to journal about that. It just becomes sort of so integrated into who you are that it just becomes internal wisdom. And so those are the sort of three stages. You intellectualize something, you embody it into knowledge, and then you repeat it so much that it becomes wisdom. But while you are just watching stuff, you're staying in that first stage of information gathering, you're not embodying it. It's like holding some food instead of eating it. Like I've got the apple in my hand, but until I eat it, its nutrients are irrelevant. It, it doesn't help me while I'm holding it in my hand. I can look at it and be like, look at the apple I've got, guys, guys. Hey, guys, look at the apple I've got. Isn't it great? It's so green. But until you eat it, it's not helping you. Would you like daily text messages of support, positivity, and love sent personally from me straight to your phone? Then sign up for Wake Up With Em. It's the affirmation service you didn't know you needed. The first month is free if you follow the link in the show notes. Good morning. You're awesome. I trust that has been useful. I'm just going to run into the comments very quickly. This is so relevant, Em. I've just decided to leave the nail last week and then the self-doubt crept in big time. Yeah, absolutely. So self-doubt, again, like the imposter syndrome, these are all various voices, like different languages, if you like, of fear. And remember that fear has one objective and that is for you to stay exactly where you are, doing exactly what you're doing now, doesn't even want you to go out to the shops, doesn't want your environment to change, doesn't want anything to change because it is a, a literally like a, a biochemical mechanism and its only job is to keep you alive. And while you are where you are now, doing what you are doing now, not moving, not changing, sitting on the nail, it knows that you are safe. So we thank it. It's a really useful uh, piece of technology that we have. Thank goodness for fear. We wouldn't be alive without it. But we have to override that and understand the context that fear is talking in. Sometimes fear is really relevant. Sometimes danger is right in front of our faces and we need to listen to it. But we need to be the self-parent and be like, mm, not in this context, fear. Thank you very much. Believe in yourself. And it, here's the thing about believing in yourself. You need to believe in yourself when you don't. It's easy to believe in yourself in the context where you already believe in yourself. But change always happens in the context where you don't believe it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, a, it's kind of like a weird oxymoron to say believe in yourself when you don't believe in yourself. But it, you have got to 
kind of give yourself this framework of whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. Might not turn out the way that I think this is going to turn out, but I am going to be okay. And I cannot and I refuse to continue to sit on this nail. Go for your dreams, my love. You have one. I don't know what happens after we die. I've got no idea what happens at the end of this incarnation. But I do know that we're only doing this once. You're here once. In this particular moment in time, in this particular place, in not just this universe, but all of the multiverses outside of it. You're here once and it's a goddamn fucking miracle. So do something with it. Because at the end of it, here's the beautiful thing about death. And I don't think we talk about death enough, especially here in the West. I'm all about it. Fucking all over death. The beautiful thing about death is none of this is going to matter on the other side of it. The things that we get so worked up about. The money. Oh, am I going to pay $750 to improve my self-worth? Oh, am I going to do it? When you die, it doesn't matter. Money doesn't go with you. It's not even a thing of nature. It's something that we've made up. 91.7% of money only exists inside computers. How fucking good is that? Less than 10% of the global wealth exists in cash or gold. It's, it's made up. All of these things that we get so wound up in, we're going to die. And then it doesn't matter. The only thing that's going to, if you believe this, this is my current working hypothesis. I, this is currently what I'm most believing in at the moment. And I'm always open to having that changed and shifted. My current working hypothesis is the only thing that goes on outside of this incarnation is my soul. And my soul collects lessons and it understands energy and and I'm going to give my soul as much bravery and courage in this lifetime as I can because the other stuff that is so human dies with me. That's it for today's episode. I trust you loved it. And remember, you can join me as I record these episodes live. All of the details are in the show notes. If you love this episode, I'd really appreciate you sharing it on your socials. And please tag me, Unashamedly Emily. You can also share it through Spotify. And if you're listening on iTunes, then please rate and review. It really helps other people find this valuable content. And as always, nothing beats a good bit of word of mouth. So let your mates know all about this podcast. If you're interested in joining my global coaching community, the Unashamedly Human Hub, check out the link in the show notes. See you in the next episode and keep being brave. <laughs>